0: partake in any form of skydiving simulation based or otherwise like can't we find other ways to live you know adventurously amanda energetically <laughs> excitingly
1: <laughs> yeah swimming with sharks right like
0: <laughs> okay well, not a not a bad backup i suppose i mean if i if you had to pick between them do you have a do you have a pick that stands out something you'd prefer to do
1: uh, no i have uh, zero interest in in being anywhere near a shark whether it's a simulation or not i mm -mm. is it (laughs) yeah
0: they're both environments where you're completely physically disabled like you can't fly and you can't i mean humans can swim but come on we weren't meant to (laughs) it's that much is pretty (laughs) obvious uh given the other creatures around us so i don't know which i would do i mean i'm terrified of heights thus the joke right at the opening so i would have a very hard time doing that under any condition
1: I'm, I'm okay with heights, but I don't like being on airplanes because I don't have control over the airplane.
0: Yeah. I've reached a kind of serenity with them. You, you just have to give up your, you have to surrender yourself to the universe. You know, you have to reach a cosmic sort of balance internally, <laughs> and become very Zen, you know, can't do it, it. yeah, it is not <laughs> a great thing, but sometimes you can just transcend, right? Le- leave your body for a little while. That's what I have to do. If you have no idea why we're talking about achieving a Zen state while flying or jumping out of airplanes, (laughs) (laughs) that is because you have found a book club episode on the novel, They Both Die at the End by Adam Silvera. We are, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary Podcast. We're a book club podcast. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram where we promote the books we're reading. You can keep up with our reading schedule there and follow us, see what our progress is and just see what we're up to, see what we're reading. Today is going to be a book club episode, as I mentioned. It's a part one book club episode on this novel, so we'll be discussing the first half of the book, roughly, we'll get into that soon, um, and spoiling that, doing a full analysis and discussion, but again, of just the first, roughly, half of the story. So if you're interested in hearing that discussion, please continue on and keep listening. We appreciate it, as always. If not, then feel free to come back after you've read it, or again, if you don't care about spoilers, then that's perfectly fine. We'll be discussing everything from the, is it parts one and two officially? Is that how this book is broken up? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you wrote that down. You're always better about that than I am for sure. (laughs) So yes, we'll be discussing officially in this novel parts one and two. Before we dig into the segments and get to the details, let's talk about why we picked it. I believe it was my pick. Is that right?
1: It was your pick, yeah. Yes. Um,
0: yeah. So
1: I gave you the prompt: a young adult book that would also appeal to a more mature reader.
0: Yeah. So I interpreted "more mature" in a very obvious way, which is stay away from series <laughs> and franchises, which young adult literature is just absolutely littered, littered with. And I was gonna—I just combined "rotten" and "littered" because it is kind of <laughs> rotten with it. I mean, it's not a bad thing. A series is perfectly fine. I, I don't mind people that want to keep their world going, keep a story advancing. But it does seem, it's gotten maybe a little out of hand. I do think you, obviously, if you commit to a long series, you risk giving up some authorial freedom and inventiveness and whatever. So that was my interpretation of Mature Reader, was one, let's pick something that is not part of a franchise. And I tried to steer away from like the hard fantasy sci-fi stuff, which I find fun. Honestly, a lot of the YA stuff I think is fine. It's, it's nice entertainment at times, depending on what kind of emotional register you want to be in. (laughs) Um, but I strayed away from that. And then my other thought was to pick something that I knew would be about a serious topic. And I purposely then had to avoid John Green, who I think is a solid writer. Like I've enjoyed some of his books, but he just Mm -hmm. is so famous for that, for writing really intense emotional stories for young adult audiences so i was just like that's that's what that opened up to me i searched around and stumbled upon again this novel by adam silvera which is called they both die at the end a novel that seems like it's going to live up to its title. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if if the premise of the story is to be believed. So I figured it would deal with yep. some pretty heavy topics. It was, you know, well reviewed. I've just checked a couple places online for some reviews and and off we go. Um I will say that it's a little longer than the books I normally pick, which I try and keep definitely under 400. I think this one might break or get close to 400, but it is fast reading this is not a complex you know you're not going to be poring over pages having to reread passages so i mean you might yeah. out of interest but it is very quick reading so i, I don't really feel is. bad about the length at all now that i look back mm-hmm. all right so that's yeah that's why i chose it that's what we'll be discussing today anything else before we start getting into some segments here I don't think so. All right, we've set it up. Now begin the spoilers, I mean, kind of sort of anyway. Our first segment today for part 1 of they both die at the end will be a fill in the blank prompt which you crafted, Amanda. So I'm going to make you fill it in first then. What's the blank?
1: Sure. Um if Deathcast were to contact me, my last day would involve blank. Um mm. so I said Um, I'd probably hang out with my family and say proper goodbyes and find a peaceful place away from my kids so that they don't witness anything (laughs) specifically. Of course, of course. Yeah, but not necessarily away from like a family member who could find me Um, and read a book or listen to some music or write some meaningful letters to my family's, you know, other morbid things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, get your relationships in order basically. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's natural that... I think both of us went there mentally first, first thing. Yeah. A strange sure. premise, of course, too, to the whole book and to the death cast is that you don't know, which then would suffuse the whole day with just insane drama. I mean, you know, there is a certain comfort, of course, in knowing like you could have a brain aneurysm at any second, at any point. So you just, it's kind of, I don't know, that takes a little bit of the stress of like, I don't want to make the wrong mistake away, but it ha- yeah. it's a topic that comes up in this book a ton because they're bicycling around.
1: Right. So, and, and I think it's interesting too, one of the things that they kind of hint at, but they don't go too much into detail with, is like, how culpable is Deathcast like, it's yeah. predicting these deaths, yeah. and, which changes these people's behavior, which then could cause them to die <laughs> because yeah, of the totally. change in their behavior. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an interesting topic.
0: Yeah, for sure. My uh, fill-in-the-blank to this uh, the tragedy for me is that I don't live near my closest family members. Now, there's a clear 24-hour window, kind of the premise of this whole thing. I could drive to get to my, all of my family in that time frame and with time to spare, to share a meal, have some moments. The problem, of course, though, is that I would never do that because, of course, I would probably die to drive, right? I mean, that's the, right. <laughs> you're not going to do a tw- 13-hour highway drive and then risk. Anyway, so that... What my hope, my joke answer to this prompt is like, I just would hate doing a Zoom, but I know that I would have to because there's, I don't think the 13 hour commute, what I would probably do is take a a much more reasonable risk and try and get to Asheville because I have family there. That's a mountain town in North Carolina and it's a nice place to be. I find it very calming to be there. It's serene. I, I could eat great food and have good beer and relax, hopefully, as much as you can. (laughs) yeah within reason and so and you know hopefully see some family so and then again yeah as you noted like just i guess put myself the funny thing is of course i love the mountains but if i had to know i had to i was gonna die there i almost wouldn't want to go hiking because then it's like well i'm gonna get bitten to a snake to death or have get mauled by a black bear (laughs) the yeah like peaceful kind of of bears (laughs) Yeah. yeah or break my leg or fall and so it does um It is quite an interesting premise that I don't think the book has lived up to its potential so far. We'll get into that in a second. But it does strip away the comforts of the thing you love in, like, a really nefarious way, this whole premise. Because, yeah, it's like my ideal death would be I do an awesome hike at the end of that great day. I just maybe go to sleep in a mountain somewhere. I guess that's kind of a pain in the ass for whoever has to come get me then. (laughs) So my bad there. But no, and then, of course, yeah, it's like see a sunset and then, I guess, have a heart attack in my sleep or, or whatever. Grim thoughts. Yeah. But you don't get to choose. So... you could commit suicide i guess right that would be your your self-control or something um anyway so that's my uh, you know i guess all the answers are morbid but that's my answer the the big torture of course again being i couldn't there's no way i could risk the drive to see my closest family members yeah that would be just a ridiculous calculation cool okay (laughs) we've got all the grim talk out of the way right <laughs> rest, of it's, rest of it's not going to be suffused with death uh, just kidding sorry that's the whole book that's the whole premise um let's move to surprises which i'll start with because i already kind of spoiled it we like to do a surprises segment pleasant or otherwise up front just things that have taken us by surprise in the book stylistic you know writing wise plot wise whatever we want So I'm going to cop out a bit. Uh, And again, I'll go first because I've already spoiled mine. Uh, My biggest surprise is that I don't think this book is that surprising. Like, given its rather insane premise, which, of course, I think in YA, you're more likely to find it's kind of loose with it, you know? It's not going to bother explaining itself at times. It doesn't care to. That's not the point. It's definitely not meticulous in those world-building ways. But I guess I'm just surprised that it is coming across as, like, it's just a typical teen friend drama with, like, some light, kind of accelerated exposition since these two people who meet each other in the book, they don't know each other. They meet through the death arrangement service. Like, they're obviously just dumping exposition on each other and, like, playing fast catch-up and trying to, you know, try and become fast friends. I don't know. I just thought it would be a... I thought the world would be stranger. I thought it would be a little bit more... I don't know. I I like this segment when they went to the business that's specifically tailored to final experiences. I like the little anecdote in there, for example, about how everything is overpriced because people are just emptying bank accounts. (laughs) You know, it's like that's a Mm. that's a very well thought out, like, you know, obvious cause and effect type of thing to play with in a story um but some of the online message board stuff has read kind of corny or basic to me like i yeah the, the interesting stuff maybe but or for like a YA reader to see like oh people would be like taking advantage of p- kids sexually huh like that's creepy and you know it's yeah. like okay that's it was an interesting thing but quickly discarded in the story i don't know it, the whole thing just feels a little bit more um young adult stuff like let's hit the friendships angle some basic relationships all around um not that there hasn't been good emotional angles within those. I think some of the the ruminations they have about death and their reconciling with it and stuff has been solid. I guess, yeah, I guess I just thought the world would be weirder is, is my final thought. So it's like, it's the surprises that it hasn't been as surprising.
1: <laughs> yeah, the the world building for, for me, I when, well, like, with the whole idea of death cast, I was like, how do they know... Oh, and yeah. like, what is, right? Like, th- I want to know more information about that. But then it's like, at the beginning, they're like, well, nobody. This book has nobody's no allowed interest in them.
0: that question. This th- this yeah. book could not be further away from like, answer- it has zero interest <laughs> in answering that yeah. question. Or the ramifications of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm just... <sighs> I kind of wish that he would answer that because I find that really fascinating. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It. I guess the one thing I would say that makes – it, it's funny because on the one hand, it makes perfect sense given how we just filled in our blanks, right? But on the yeah. other hand, I just see the seams maybe too much. But the way that they've done the plot so far, just checklisting off every person that they care about, that uh, Matteo especially, it just feels like this plot device or the world rather is just an excuse to do that kind of checklisty. Like here, let's check in on all these. Like it, it just feels like a rushed version of like a teen relationships kind of story, you know? Like it's mm-hmm. There's another version of this book where Mateo's just a high school kid trying to figure out his life. He's got his buddy Lydia, he's got his dad who's in a coma and his family life's really tough And it, but I guess I'm just feeling all those same stuff it's just kind of put into this hyper accelerator or something because of the premise that mm-hmm. I, again, it's been solid and I think some of their ex- exchanges about you know how to avoid death and what it all means and all the big questions really I think have been solid and I'm I'm like a little intrigued where the book will go as it starts to wrap up but I I, yeah I don't know I guess I just thought it would be a stranger story in a sense though as I already mentioned maybe I'm circling around myself now but it also makes perfect sense though because what did we say right we would be doing the same (laughs) stuff as the people so it's Yeah, I don't know. And that way I almost can't fault it for being what it is. But have you found the the structure or like the – has it engaged you? Has it surprised you in its inventiveness or anything?
1: Uh, The structure of it? I mean, no, not necessarily. It's entertaining. It's very quick to read. And, you know, there's a lot of positives there. It's definitely something that will encourage uh, people to read. But there's nothing that really, for me, like is like, oh, my God, that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen <laughs> mm-hmm. or anything like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. What about for your surprise, then?
1: Um, I was surprised that there are narratives and points of view that aren't Mateo and Rufus. Mm-hmm. I was expecting it to just be the two of them. And if we were introduced to any other point of views, it would just be from one of their perspectives, from either Mateo or Rufus's um, perspective. So, like, seeing... Um Amy's perspective, Peck's perspective, and then like the Death Cast callers. Yeah. Their yeah. perspectives too. Um so I did enjoy that and I'm interesting I'm interested to see how this all kind of like culminates, especially right. with the one girl who thinks that her ex boyfriend is like her ex fiance is like trolling the her fake. because he works yeah, for she death. Cast. A fake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that has to somehow relate to Mateo and Rufus, right? So I'm just like I don't know. One would think. About that. <clears throat>
0: Same with the yeah. celebrity, the, the heartthrob right. actor, man.
1: Right. Who is, like, the greatest villain of all time. And, like, Mateo is, like, a huge fan of his, right? So.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows how they'll intertwine those.
1: Yeah. So, I find that interesting. Um, that's, like, the, the surprise that I noticed for me. I was just like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, there's going to be a little bit...
0: Any of them feel more promising than others or uh, did any of them especially grab your attention for some particular reason?
1: Uh, Well, yeah, Peck, because obviously he's going to try to kill Rufus. Um,
0: yeah, I wondered about that, too, because it, it was kind of ended on an ominous note. He was the one who yeah. just was beaten, right? And he doesn't it make some allusions yeah. to he, he has connections, like he's going to go back to his gang connections or something. I forget. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I I thought the opening, it was, I don't know, though, because again, I don't want to say let's get some caricature like villainous, angry teens going. I thought the story pulled away from his violence a little too fast. Like, I, you know, it's an intense opening. He's beating this b- person horribly. But then, like, in, in paragraphs later, it's like, whoa, I'm not that guy. And then, of course, from there, it's been just, like, slamming on the brake to be like, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> we just wanted to get, yeah. it was such an obvious, I guess, like, hook. It didn't really commit to that whole angle of his person. Like, I just, I guess, wonder if his vi- if violence will come up again in his story. Um, maybe, like you said, he'll he'll have it done to him. But I thought that was, so. it just felt like a little too fast to slam that breakdown. down to immediately let you know, maybe, you know, it felt like an audience sympathy thing to me to be like, I'm not going to put you with a, you know, a a murderous guy for the, for this book. (laughs) It's like, I, he's a nice guy. I swear, you know, it just, I don't know. It felt like it pulled away from that a little too fast.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like the opening scene, I was like, man, this guy's like a total asshole. (laughs) Like I was like Mm -hmm. writing notes about like, he's beating up a dude in like an, like in front of an elementary school and, um, all this stuff and he's got like his buddies just like standing there while so he's outnumbered too and i was just like writing these notes like man what kind of person is this why do i want to read about him
0: (laughs) yeah yeah well i almost think it's just let's say he was a little more compromised and he and mateo still found each other and they had this i mean obviously their friendship is meant to be uneasy there's a literal scene where mateo hears about the cops and then runs and but again that resolves so quickly like it's not I thought that tension, I thought maybe introducing Rufus as a a person who's maybe a little more broken than he is, a little more compromised... Uh, that's all again attempted in the story because of his background and because of his life. But I just thought he would be a little less stable, and their personalities would like clash a little bit more. But it hasn't. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't seem to be what the book wants to do, which is fine. It's just a different key of emotion or something. And again, I, I definitely am not begging for like give me a really poorly written YA teenage gangbanger character. Like I definitely don't want that either. That would probably be way worse. So yeah. I, I guess I'm not really sure. You know, I I don't like to complain or edit these things without solutions or so to speak but it did feel like it pumped the brakes like instantly it almost felt like it regretted even opening that way the the book you know how 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 painstakingly it went afterwards in almost every other paragraph to be like but i swear i'm not violent but i swear i regret it but i swear you know it was just kind of like okay i get it like yeah yeah we we got it (laughs) a momentary lapse you know he's not a bad person we yeah okay so any other surprises for you
1: uh, nope, that's it for me.
0: Let's hit some motifs then. We're going to do a little bit of a deeper analysis here in this segment. We're just going to talk about one motif or rhetorical device or anything repeated really that stood out to us so far that we can kind of analyze and use to understand the book a little bit better. Amanda, I'll put it on your shoulders first. What is your motif that sure. matters? Let's talk through it.
1: Um, I said like cultural insensitivity, cultural selfishness, like just the culture that they're raised in. There's so many examples of just people being really shitty. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. And it's like constant. And, and and I think it's meant also to like directly contrast with like Matteo and his philosophy in life and the way that he approaches life and why yeah. he shelters himself so much, but he's got like this big open heart and like, you know, hands, bleeding people his shoes and <laughs> stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I think that it's it's very much on purpose, and it's something that has struck me because I like I like looking at world building stuff, and so that was like the most world building that I noticed in this novel.
0: Right. Um, okay. So yeah, some examples some
1: of, of yeah. So some of the examples are um, Mateo's death cast call, um, the complete lack of empathy. Like sh- she called him Timothy.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was gets a his great hopes intro.
1: Up yeah i was yeah. like oh brutal and then um and then she's like hey i'm sorry it's just my day has just been like oh i've had so many calls and like she makes it all about herself like who does that when you're informing somebody that they're about to die anyway the the callousness with which just, this a opens. just a job yeah, opened just a job in this world job it was
0: it was one of the better scenes i thought too
1: yeah, so that was um, the first example that I noticed, and then there's also um, websites that are dedicated to what they call the Deckers, the the people who are dying that day. Yeah, and um, there was the the one website that was called Dumb Deaths, which is about like these terrible like they're making fun of the way that people die, and I was like, ah. That seems like something that does happen nowadays. No, it like... is. It's
0: a pretty big phenomenon online. Oh there's gosh. the, you haven't heard of the Darwin Awards? This is like no. a real internet. There's like a big, big internet community around this every year. The Darwin Awards are given out for people who like comb through, you know, the news and whatever. And they find like the most, I don't know how to phrase it, right? Because it's not something I follow. Um, Mm -hmm. they would say like the most justified stupid deaths. Uh, I think one key component to it is that, and the reason why it's Darwin's in the name, of course, is because it's like something that is utterly preventable and was of their own stupidity and own doing. That would be, that's my summary of it. That's not my view of what the project Mm -hmm. is, uh, which seems needlessly maybe mean. Um, but I think they've even published like books about that. Oh my God. I think so. It's kind of a... I don't know. I mean, this is rubbernecking on the highway. This is... Yeah. There's so many phenomena you could tie to this, but and and take it back to ancient times if you really wanted to be academic with it. But it's not surprising that it creeps into this book, too.
1: Yeah. Um, There's also the the Decker discounts, quote-unquote, which are actually, like, nothing is for free except for the diner that Rufus likes. But the... um, (laughs) On page 101, I thought this one was pretty funny. Um, At the subway. Um, Mm -hmm. It says, Deckers get some perks like free unlimited passes for the subway. You just got to bother the teller with some form. But the unlimited part is bullshit because they expire at the end of your end day. A few weeks ago, the Plutos claimed we were dying so we could score free passes for our adventure to Coney Island, thinking the dude would give us a break and let us through. But nah, he had us waiting for confirmation from Deathcast servers, which can take longer than waiting for an express train. So I thought that was really funny. It's like these guys are like, you know, they don't want to spend their time filling out forms and like having a de- deal with bureaucracy. But in order for them to like <laughs> to take advantage of the perks that they're given, they have to. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I thought that was just. Yeah perfect
0: <laughs> yeah it's an it what do you think I thought this moment was odd so Mateo takes out a lot of money uh, for him for uh, you know whatever it's a good amount of money to give to his friend but he doesn't give it all to her do you think he has plans for the rest I mean I guess they had to buy their skydiving but I just figured he would yeah, it. I mean at some point you empty it right like what are you doing <laughs> so you you need to literally right. get rid of it all so I'm not sure how he's gonna do it
1: yeah he he had taking a mental note too right he had over two thousand dollars left in his account after giving her the four hundred dollars yeah yeah and he didn't leave any at the house for his dad
0: right and his
1: and Lydia his best friend is like I mean she's a struggling single mom like yeah yeah, I don't know I get he's so giving in in so many ways but yeah that scene too kind of like I was flabbergasted I was like but what and
0: I enjoyed the scene too (laughs) I think I'll get back to it maybe in my quotes motifs, but I thought they had some nice tense exchanges. Like it was again, maybe a little, po- maybe a little obvious or pointed or something, but I thought it worked well. Like it was a painful yeah. scene. And also the choice raises, I think really good. That was like a good moment of interesting questions for that. The book yeah. makes, you know, makes a reader wonder about, but, and but yeah, just the technical stuff. I don't know why I got caught up on that so much. I was just kind of like, look, man, like who else do you know? You should get, I mean, she seems so deserving in like every regard it, you know, to yeah. know, too, that her husband was a Decker, too. Like, it was just kind of like, it yeah. seems, yeah, obvious. Anyway.
1: Yeah, I, I have no idea. <laughs> Any other
0: thoughts, yeah, on selfishness or cultural uh, disconnects between people in this world?
1: I just, yeah, there were other examples, like the last friend app when the creepy people were, like, reaching out to him and the one girl who was like, hey, I need to practice because I'm going to lose my virginity to my boyfriend, but... I want to practice first and like so weird just the, the weirdness mm-hmm. is I enjoyed right yeah um yeah. because that was the world building but yeah it's definitely something that uh, I think is going to be uh, end up yeah being pretty important
0: that was one thing where I thought well, I don't know maybe we can unpack it it just seems like doing a twist on social media these days just isn't the most interesting analysis like or it just isn't Uh, creativity wise in, in terms of just putting something into a story, building a world, it just doesn't ever feel like the most inventive thing to do anymore. You know, it's like, obviously social media will continue to be popular in the world. Obviously it will proliferate and it's not like it's going to go away so I don't mind that aspect of it. It's just to to have like, you know, to make up these new apps and give it all this self to, and it, you know, again, that probably would happen. It's a very unique service situation. It just, none of it felt like it hit very hard. It just felt like that was some of the more, I don't know, obvious. You wouldn't have to think through it much to come up with that kind of stuff, but you know, I, I don't know why I would discredit YA for doing something like that. It It definitely is effective. And I think, Like you said, in the big picture of the book, getting in some hostility from the world, giving the giving this almost like creepy, eerie, leery feeling. Like people are, you know, want to want to see these Deckers, and even at the diner, the waitress she's nice about it, obviously, but she still is like wants to be around them, is like very curious about them because it's this creepy phenomena. So I, I I like that it had that effect, but the the actual. I don't know, the creativity of it was just kind of like flat to me. It was just kind of like, yeah, okay, there's an app for it, <laughs> of course. There's apps for, yeah. you can just say that for, just pick any plot thing, pick any world, and just be like, ah, there's apps. There's an app thing, I don't know, whatever. It's, yeah, it was okay, but.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Any other thoughts on that uh, topic? I'll throw mine at you. Nope. It's, yeah, it's the, I think, the obvious one. Friendship, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my <laughs> motif, is going to be Friendship. I don't know what pages I could pick for this. Um, I, I think the obvious place I'll start, though, I've kind of ignored Rufus in this one, but his is probably the most interesting version of friendship because his whole life has found friends, you know, his, defined by friendships, right? His friends have become his family, so to speak. And so yeah. his there's a lot of rich stuff you could talk about with him in friendship. On um, page 43, uh, Mateo faces down a kind of conundrum in his life in regards to friendship. He says, A few months ago, Oh, there's the serial killer thing. Again, a little heavy-handed, but, you know, fair enough. Um, he says, I think engaging with a last friend could do me some good. Then again, I don't know if it's sadder to die alone or in the company of someone who not, not only doesn't mean anything to you, but also probably doesn't care much for you either. Time is wasting. I have to take a shot and find the same bravery hundreds of thousands of Deckers before me have found. I check my bank account and kind of goes from there. So this is an intriguing proposition right? Uh, especially for, he, it's so built up that he is supposed to be this introverted person. His entire kind of thing in the book is that he regrets not having lived more. An obvious thing for many people who, who die too young. That's It's, I think, like a rich thematic vein to hit on. Rufus, kind of different, like has some interesting social life stuff going on. Seems more, I don't know. He's not happy with the world. I mean, his life has been tough. <laughs> um, yeah. And he obviously is like struggling with his girlfriend a ton. But that you know, pairing them together makes a lot of sense. It does raise questions though. Like, wouldn't he want to spend the whole day with Lydia? I guess the the manner of not knowing the death is the cloud, right? It's like, right? You can't spend time around people you actually care about because what if you what if they die with you? Then again, they're not guaranteed to die that day, so. It should be fine. Right. <laughs> right. Like, So I don't know. What did you think of that early decision? I mean, I think in terms of the story, it makes sense to put them together. There are two personalities that will obviously benefit from one another by the end of it. They already are benefiting from each other. Uh, Rufus has been admiring Mateo's selflessness. Rufus is pushing Mateo to grow like it's there's some pretty clear stuff at play um, in terms of the story that I think is fine. But what did you think of that just early on? Like these people refusing because Rufus has the police thing that gives the plot such an obvious reason to avoid it. But what did you think about Mateo's early characterization?
1: Um, I mean, he, he's kind of like, um, a stereotype in a lot of ways, somebody who's super secluded. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's something that he is, that's keeping him from wanting to interact with the world at large. Yeah. Um, But like, yeah, the being super into video games, I was like, yeah, that's that's playing to your audience. Right. That's a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I was not surprised by that. Um, Just like I think Rufus in some ways is also he's like the brooding teenager. Right. But he's like artsy brooding. He's had a really tough life. And that also appeals to teenagers, as well. Um so I they're just like they're almost like tropes of yeah, being a teenager in some way, but um
0: yeah, I think uh, the by offering the Mateo, the, both of their family backgrounds are the twist for that, I think. Right. It does add that little dimension of complication and a little extra depth to both of them, the way they've navigated their family tragedies and pasts and everything lack of supervision Mm. basically so but i agree with you though it's you're taking a clearly introverted person who regrets his loneliness and then taking somebody who's quite comfortable socially and is a pretty loud boisterous type you know gets goes after things wants to wants to be engaged with the world all that stuff and like you pair them up and you let them foil each other in the literary sense (laughs) yeah natural foils so yeah uh on seventy seven I found a quote that I'll share quickly. I know I had mentioned this, but this is it's you know where they're poking at each other um again from seventy seven they're talking about their last day too um rufus says can you there's the whole not you not leaving your house problem last friend or not i'm not spending the rest of my life holed up in someone's apartment and i don't want you to either but you got to meet me halfway mateo he's trying to get him out believe me i know it can get ugly out there there was a point when i didn't think any of this was worthwhile and then he you know why is that and he says i wasn't about this life rufus says looking away and i would have been game with game over but that's not what my parents insist wanted for me it's mad twisted but surviving showed me it's better to be alive wishing i was dead than dying wishing i could live forever if i can lose it all and change my attitude you need to do the same before it's too late dude you got to go for it and then of course you know he's had that mantra go for it and latches right on the writing there ah you know it's like I struggle because I definitely can't write a teenager's voice either I feel like this is the ultimate this is the ultimate not crossroads or it's a bit like a wall <laughs> for YA writers because trying to imitate teen speak and not being a teen, basically impossible, like a fool's errand. Yeah. <laughs> I can see why so many YA writers stick to genre writing, you know, when they can invent their own syntax <laughs> slang. Yeah. I think yeah. Rufus is – what do you think of his dialect so far? Uh, I would have been game I, with I game like over. It's... I Like, as dialogue, it's just – I don't know. It's a cute little inversion or flip or, you know, it's a mirroring, whatever the literary term would be for that kind of repetition. But it doesn't it's he comes off as like weirdly formal. It's like formal slang. I don't (laughs) I don't know how else to put it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say it seems a little bit dated. I was I was just quickly checking. I mean, this was the copyright is 2017. Yeah. yeah. But like saying things like dope, which is like one of his favorite words, right? Yeah,
0: dude yeah i say dude
1: that's what i grew up saying (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah. i think also it doesn't take place in that year though i think it says the year it's clearly like a recent ish time but not current day it's like 2015 oh it says september
1: 5th 2017 that's the very first oh
0: there okay perfect there we go yeah so it is yeah so it is recent yeah it's you know he says um he calls sister sis like okay Pretty common abbreviation, but it's mad twisted, like mad twisted. I yeah. you know Again, I guess that's
1: that's my time. That's when I, that's how we used to speak. when yeah. I was a teenager. <laughs> Fra- frankly,
0: from both parties, having been around unencumbered teenagers recently, <laughs> uh, there would be a lot more swearing <laughs> than this has. Yeah, <laughs> uh, teenagers yeah. swear rather rampantly and kind of wantonly, like in in a broken kind of like desperate way at times <laughs> now they're meeting yeah. with strangers obviously. So that's a, a big part of it. And you know, you got to publish a book, you got to sell it. um, Got to convince kids and parents it's good to read it. So I get, you know, you can't just litter it with that, but it, at the same time when you want to say, okay, well how do I want to write Rufus? He's been in the foster care system. He's alone. He's maybe a bit tough, but not hardened. You know, he's, he knows how to take care of himself. He, but he's also, I don't know how else to phrase it, but yeah, he wants him to use a little bit of informal speech slang. And it just feels, I thought that was a good quote to show it. It feels a little bit stiff to me. Um, Not totally not working, but it's just awkward enough for me to notice sometimes. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Any other moments of his speaking stand out?
1: No, it's, I'm trying to think of like the way that, Malcolm and Tago, Tago, Mm -hmm. Um, his friends, man. Yeah, his his two friends, and uh, I don't. I feel like they don't even talk like that, right?
0: Yeah, because I don't.
1: Well, we only get their their language like a few times, but their dialogue a few times.
0: In his funeral speech for him, one of them had kind of a little bit of a, you know, like this sucks, man, or you know, just some kind of Uh, light, um. I almost don't even want to say like teenager language. That's that anyone could really say that phrase, but some kind of like casual way of speaking, you know? Yeah. It's weird though. Cause it's also the kind of thing where I read this and it's a criticism that I can't, it's a criticism that requires the real world, not so much a literary mind. (laughs) Obviously dialect is literary and you can analyze it, but it's at some point to analyze it. Well, any dialect you need to either know history uh, and do that or know the real version (laughs) and compare. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I I don't know how teens speak even. And I interact with them almost daily for my job, but it's so, you know, they're not speaking slang with me.
1: Right. Right. Any
0: other thoughts on the dialogue or either of the characters or anything?
1: Uh, Nope, not right now.
0: Well, let's get to the most important moment of friendship for me then, um, which is Mateo and Lydia. I think definitely the most interesting moment in the story so far. Probably not the best bit of writing. Maybe that first interaction with Deathcast was. But I thought this whole section was pretty intense, pretty rich, and just left you thinking a lot about his decisions and what he's doing to the point where he ends the exchange by... Um, literally blocking his grand her grandmother's phone number so that he definitely cannot be reached. Um, this is one of his fa- final speeches to her on One fifty two. I prop up a framed picture of Lydia and Christian that was tipped over. Christian has got to be crazy proud of you, you know, your pennies shot at happiness in a world that makes cheap promises and has no guarantees and doesn't always reward those who never did wrong. It's like the world will just as easily screw with a good person as it will, a not-so-good not one, but you devote your days to someone who's, someone else selflessly anyway. Not everyone is programmed like you. And then she stops and asks him what's going on, and then he says, everything's okay, I am I should probably head out a bit, I'm tired. And then he helps her with some stuff. It's a little, again, this, the way, the manner of speaking. I, I like that it's a little bit like circular, or repetitive because it's it's a really tense moment, and so it, it shouldn't be perfectly rehearsed. You know, you don't want right. to. It's not a Shakespeare play. You don't need soliloquies or or what have right. you. You know what I mean? Um, it's a, it's kind of an odd sentiment to end on, but I get that it's. I almost like that it was kind of awkward. Maybe that's a generous reading or something, but it did feel a little awkward. And not, you know, phrased the most elegant way or something, but it all felt kind of fitting. And I thought it was just kind of a nice, quiet scene, and kind of I don't know, I wouldn't say devastating, but it was. I don't, what did you think of the decision, or the moment, or the writing, anything?
1: Yeah, I wasn't. Um, so I wasn't surprised by like the awkwardness of his yeah. compliment to her, because it, I think like previous to that he noted like that his relationship with Lydia was not one where they actually verbalized how how much they love each other and how close they are. It's just that they, they knew, and that was it. Yes. So right. it was like, they never told each other, like, hey, you're my best friend, or hey, you know, I love you so much. Um, so that awkwardness of him trying to tell her how much he cares. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was like, yeah, that's fitting, you know, since he just said that he's not used to saying it so
0: hard for all ages really i mean how often do i feel like art music i can think of a couple quick or movies examples of where this sentiment comes up you know tell people how you feel before it's too late or really connect with people you care about before they're gone i feel like those are almost cliche ideas now but it's at the heart of it is the truth i mean Often cliches come from some place of truth or whatever, and that's one I think that because ha- it's true. I mean, you don't certainly in the holidays. We're in the holiday season when we record this. That's a time when I don't know. I feel like it, at least with family members, you can share some love and honesty and stuff. But it's not. Yeah, it's not something you would include in a daily text or <laughs> a weekly phone right. call or something. So I, I, it wasn't so brutally awkward. It's not like the author threw in you know stammering or or total meltdown or. But it was. It's funny because in the emotionally heightened moment, I'm looking for some really clear, you know, crystal clear idea to be delivered or punchy, something punchy. And it really just wasn't. And uh, but again, that felt right or something. And, you know, just a yeah. quiet moment. He helps a little bit more and there's kind of slides out, you know.
1: Right. Right.
0: Any thoughts on that um, ethically? You want to uncork one here? <laughs> Any thoughts on the ethics of this? <laughs> Not the literary yeah, qualities like- of it.
1: Yeah, Rufus was saying, like, you need to tell her so that she, you know, can yeah. get out what she... So she can have some closure, too. And he's like, nah, man, she's got enough on her plate. And, and also, he was thinking to himself that, like, he's being kind of selfish, yeah, but he knows that if she asks him to stay, he will. And he's so scared of specifically the baby seeing something mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, horrific happen. So...
0: Yeah, it's... That is the one kind of specter that looms over this p- plot or whatever like it,
1: yeah,
0: every time I think oh, maybe that moment wasn't quite right or oh, that was awkward or oh, this is eh, I don't know about and then, of course, you remember that it's like the the one thing they think about constantly, they don't know how many pages are in the book like we uh it's very meta of me, right. the criticism I'm ranting about now, but like I, I knowing how long the story must go, I'm like, well, just take your time, man, but of course that's an absurd thing to think like they within their own world, it does make sense that they keep trying to keep, you know, keep it moving. They're really cautious. They don't want to do things to potentially initiate that death, (laughs) Uh, put it Mm. awkwardly. So yeah, I don't know. I, the ethics of that moment though, I think is, it was probably the richest, uh, most interest, most interesting, excuse me, deep um, philosophically, ethically, morally, however you want to phrase it moment for me so far. Because it yeah. it is kind of selfish. I mean, he's the ultimate selfless character. That's his whole that's his whole shtick. <laughs> but it yeah. is it is in a way so fascinating because it's both. It really is just so gray, right? It's both very selfish, and kind of it fits his introversion. Lack of doesn't want to have conflict with the world. Doesn't want to have mm-hmm. to like face things. But then also, it's of course very thoughtful. Doesn't want to die and have her relive that with another person she loves. She's already dealt with right. it. Yeah. So it's just, it's very, very much a quagmire. I don't know if I felt the same way about other moments as much as that one.
1: Yeah. I think that this is probably, well, that, and then Amy Rufus's ex-girlfriend, like her. Oh yeah. Her complexities with like her relationship with Rufus. And then like also being pissed that Peck called the police on him when it's his final day and like, that was, I've, I think, trying yeah. to be a bit more complex as well.
0: I don't think it achieved it because he didn't know when he called. When you, If you get yeah. jumped, you call... you. Well, I, 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 if I get jumped, I call the police. I That is a complicated thing for, I think, a large swath of people um, who might not want to call the police for help or whatever. But, like, it just didn't seem like the most... It obviously introduces such clear plot tension, and I understood and, and all that, but it doesn't feel as ethically um t- i don't feel as tied up in a knot about that thinking like mm-hmm. oh should he have should he not have and um the only complication for him of course is that it's going to anger his girlfriend and it did right. yeah you know, so but no yeah any other thoughts on any of those moments or friendship in general any things we skip? I skipped over i don't think so no okay yeah those are those are my thoughts on some of that it, motifs um probably again such an obvious motif <laughs> these two are becoming fast friends in the book so All right, let's jump to a couple final segments we'll do on this part one. Um, Let's do Please Continue, Make It Stop. This is when we each pick one thing to praise about the book so far and one thing to critique and, you know, recommend that it stops happening. Go ahead with one of yours, Amanda. What you got?
1: I'll go with my Please Continue because it was something that you had mentioned before. I actually like the relationship between Mateo and Rufus. Yeah. um, Just because they're both uh, growing as characters, which is kind of ironic since it's their final day. Yeah, (laughs) Um, But I like that. And I do like that they're, they're foils for each other. And, um, and I, and I like that there is sincerity in both of them, especially in contrast to the cynical world around them. So they're like, even on their final day where it should be a day of like, all about them and and getting their affairs in order and everything like that they're having to like fend off like cynical attacks from the world you know um Mm -hmm. and so their sincerity and and the way that they're finding that sincerity in each other i i find that to be really nice compared to the world around them and, and to their circumstances
0: yeah definitely i think i think my earlier criticism or thought was that it was like you said, they're so close to cliche, but then there's just twists yeah. enough. And I completely agree with that assessment. I'm enjoying it too. it's it, it's well yeah. done so far. with the some moments of dialogue and dialect aside, I think it's definitely working. it's making for an interesting plot overall just because foils it's it's a tried and true device for you know a reason right like it's just it works (laughs) um and yeah i'm enjoying it too so far for sure i'll throw out my please continue we can go positive first right Yeah. We're positive people, aren't we? We are. Generally speaking. Depends on the book, I guess. Despite
1: our our (laughs) fill-in-the-blank this earlier. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It was never going to be, you know, it was never going to be cheery. (laughs) Quite impossible. (laughs) Anyway, um, I like some of the quieter moments of finality this book has delivered, and it hasn't honestly done much of that, because when you just look back at what they're doing in the story, it's all been huge swings, especially with Mateo. Like, Gets to say goodbye to his comatose father, his only friend. He visits his mother's grave. Like, this is... It it is like pedal to the metal, foot to the floor. Like, I don't know all the, you know, um, automotive (laughs) metaphors or expressions. It's just, like, pumping out such intensity, which... I, it's a little contrived, and I, in my criticism at the very beginning, I think that's part of why I just thought this would be a more surprising book. Instead, it's kind of just let's hit all these emotional drums really hard and like really obviously. Again, all that's fine, but like the diner scene, I liked. That feels like a really fitting, potent moment of there's a little bit of regret, little bit of nostalgia. It's not a it doesn't have to be some monumental relationship thing for either of them. It's just hey, this was a nice thing about being on earth that I took some comfort in. What it just a nice quiet thing I'll miss. I feel like the story could use a little bit more of that. But I so that's my please continue though. Is like I don't think it needs to be home runs every everything they do is a home run. Um I I like that moment. I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I liked that one, and I also liked the moment when they um, when Rufus buys the Legos for Mateo. Yeah,
0: that and, was nice.
1: And he's like about to have a panic attack on the the subway, and he just builds like a sanctuary, and then falls asleep with it in his lap. And um, Rufus takes a picture of him while he's sleeping. I thought that was really nice as well, and it was, it it, it again shows like who they are as as people we get some insights um into their characters and stuff but just like with the diner scene those two scenes to me really stood out the most um just Mm -hmm. because they they were peaceful in in some ways and it was like just the two of them and and they didn't have that worry even though i mean like they're worrying the whole time you know when are they going to die but it was just like a, a kind of like quiet satisfaction quiet contentment with with the situation like with their circumstances at that time
0: yeah that's a great follow-up example too it's yeah it, it's been i don't know i want to say almost bombastic but it it just seems like every stop of course is going to be monumental so i guess i've enjoyed the interstitials right, right? If, if i want to phrase it that way <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's been nice to have those how about for your make it stop
1: um i said that the language in here isn't exactly gripping um like yeah. It I shouldn't be surprising since it's geared towards YA. Um, there are a lot of contemporary allusions and comparisons, which, of course, I get. You're trying to, um, you know, make make the youths <laughs> kind of <laughs> that is the right term. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> appreciate the novel. Um, but you know, I just I really hunger for some beautiful analogies. Sometimes I just you know, this is is a fast moving novel and it's a very easy read, but there's there's nothing in the language or in the style that's like that jumps out at me as like really unique or anything. And, and I just kind of maybe that's my snobbery or something. I just I would love to see something that makes me go, oh, I, I love that analogy or oh, my gosh, what a great comparison. Something like that.
0: Yeah, I just it's I think a lot of people who crave or like YA. It's always because of the swing in the authors, I don't know why I'm relying on baseball metaphors today, but the, the risk, the creative <laughs> intrigue usually comes from the premise and not the language. Is that's I think that's a yeah. pretty fair summary. Not, of course, that the writing can't be brisk or interesting or have little moments of pop, but it's not, I mean, most YA stuff moves at a pretty brisk pace, and <laughs> and it's not, the language is not meant to make you question things or be confused for example or like it's not thematically I don't know dense or something it's I'll get to that too in a second as well I have an example but yeah I I completely agree with you it's it's just not the thing of interest right the thing of interest is here's a really intense premise got some interesting characters you might kind of like hopefully I can make you like them and like let's see what they do in this scenario you know
1: you're right yeah
0: totally my make it stop this is another why thing. i think i may have forgotten it definitely is in children's literature picture books and and other chapter books and things but i could do without them um the author directly explaining thematic moments to me or uh, moments of symbolism so the on page 222 which is pretty recent where we're where we've stopped um he's in his own grave which i thought as a moment was kind of in terms of world building, it was another good reminder of the kind of bureaucratic coldness of it all. You know, the indifference of right. it. So, you know, it's, I'm fine with the moment. But, of course, on 222, the, this is the, how it's narrated. Um, he's So Mateo's in his own grave. Rufus joins him, even though it's too small. Or does he join him? They're close. And he, he, I think he wants to go in, but he doesn't or something. Anyway, yeah. this is the paragraph narration. Rufus nods as the rain comes down harder on us. He stands first and offers me a hand. Oh, so he is up. I take it. The poetry you could write about Rufus helping me out of my grave isn't lost on me. Ugh, come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Don't do this. Please make it stop. Like, it's you've struck upon something that I think has good thematic resonance and is, if a little obvious, I think that's a fine criticism for some YA stuff. Is, is like nice and, you know, it's like, okay, there, look at this bonding moment. It's fittingly enough raining, you know, it's a grim stuff. Anyway, but just that one sentence is just like, oof, just control, delete that s- sentence. Like, and we're, I'm, I feel like I'm good. And there, it's, the example I pulled obviously was so recent, but I feel like that's happened more than once. You know,
1: it definitely has, and I made note of it too. Like, um, I pulled one up from 156. He puts his glasses back on, and I don't know if you want to put together some analogy on how he's seeing the world with new eyes or something. Be my guest. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's done it like at least three times in the novel thus far, um, pointing out the the symbolism of of the scene.
0: Yeah, it's I don't know. I I feel conflicted with it because obviously it keeps things moving. At least he's not f- fully interpreting it. It's <laughs> a really generous yeah. way to put it. He's <laughs> he's opening the interpretation but then not finishing it or something. But I just think back to when I taught 6th grade in a middle school even the books that i chose which used heavy symbolism and and a lot of what i would feel like is obvious repetition didn't do that like that sentence did not exist in the in the books i was you know pulling, or or if it did it would do it not in a way so spe- uh, speaking so directly. It would be more of the heavy-handedness of the description. You know, like I felt his palm firm against mine, and like he he hoisted me out of the grave, and like it, it would be very overtly written. You know what I mean? But but not going yeah. to the point of saying like you should pay attention to this, hey reader. Like <laughs> does the, don't you notice what's happening? I don't know. That bothers me a ton. Right. And it could just be a YA thing to make the reading more comfortable. And to make the themes a little bit more apparent, which I don't know, I shrug at that. I guess it's it's hard to knock it when that's kind of just part and parcel with the the audience, is so to speak. I guess.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I feel like there's yeah. enough other interesting stuff going on to make it feel like it, there's enough things to for you to chew on, right? That, I guess that's another important test would be if the, when those things are there, then does it ruin? complex interpretations or interesting ways to think about it and i don't i don't fully think so it definitely is making the clearest reading clear (laughs) but yeah yeah, there's enough going on in the book where it's i think it will have some other things to talk about at the end right yeah any other examples of that jump out to you i'm glad you had one on deck that was coincidental
1: (laughs) (laughs) there was another one that i had pulled but uh i'd have to look through my
0: yeah, My notes for that we one. can let yeah. it be. It's fine. It, it yeah. happens a couple more times. Did we get to yeah. your Please Continue? We did, right?
1: Yeah, we okay. did them both. Yeah. Oh, we did
0: them both. Okay. Final segment, then. We always end fiction book clubs, at least the part ones, with a big, bold prediction for the second half. Obviously, we've stopped our reading, so we don't know what's going to happen in parts, I guess, three and four, or however long yeah, it goes. Yeah, three and four. We've definitely read over half. This book did not split cleanly in half, but that's okay. Anyway, um, Amanda, your big, bold prediction for the final... Part of the book.
1: Um, will Kendrick, the knockout King. That was another um, yeah. perspective that was introduced into um, the, the novel. I think that he will be tasked with um, joining Peck and killing Rufus, mm-hmm. but I think that he's going to recognize Mateo and not end up killing him. Oh, okay. Um, instead, trying to maybe like save his life. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that that's going to happen because okay. I feel like thematically he couldn't possibly kill Mateo since Mateo was the one who kind of like showed him empathy and sympathy when he was like beat up and shoeless. And Mateo was the one who kind of gave him the shoes off of his feet and was right. like comforting him, a stranger, a total stranger. So I feel like thematically he would have to, to spare mateo but if he doesn't then man dark
0: yeah bleak <laughs> um, you, how could you do with this segment without predicting how they're going to die right <laughs> it's like <laughs> that has to be the prediction so i i like yours and i do think you noted so well at the beginning there's so many weird side plots being brought up i hope they yeah. pay off my prediction's not really about that so but you were right to bring it up early on it's definitely a unique choice noticeable yeah. like you i i've been feeling that it feels very purposeful and very intentional so yeah uh, i given the collective day so far uh, my big bold prediction is that they're going to die together um that yeah. they die at the same moment or at least in a similar enough time similar enough moment that they feel that, like, as foils, they, you know, collapse in on each other and the narrative then can wrap up. It feels fitting. Also, you know, that they're bonding so much it would be strange to split them up at the end. So that's kind of an obvious prediction, but that's that's mine. I also think, then, to be more specific the most thematically obvious thing would be they're going to be like helping someone. Some kind of good deed will be getting done and they'll die doing the good deed. (laughs) I think your prediction is probably better, actually. Maybe it will be some kind of fight or confrontation. Or it could be that Mateo tries to defuse it, as is his thing. Rufus maybe gets caught up in it and there's some kind of you know fighting exchange they die who knows right yours is probably more specific and better mine would just be that i think they're both going to be doing a good thing when they die and i do think they'll die at the same time or you know in the same incident or something however you want to word that it would be very weird to me if they like split up and then died alone (laughs) at this point so those are my i don't think those are bold predictions but any thoughts on those
1: yeah i think that um their deaths are going to be somehow connected to each other for sure
0: yeah doing any what other kind of good deed could they get into
1: i don't know they've already given a homeless guy some money uh they've got
0: two grand left
1: yeah to blow mateo's got two grand i don't know how much rufus has yeah so yeah
0: do you think any of the side characters will re-enter
1: oh for sure yeah
0: yeah Amy, maybe
1: maybe they're gonna try to save the um the writer, the one who thinks that her ex boyfriend is trolling her,
0: yeah, maybe who's chasing her or something, yeah chasing the famous guy' story, yeah, yeah, it could be something like that. I can't remember, I think you did pluck out the the one point of view that seems the most obviously poised since Peck has, you know, the motive and <laughs> the skills to be violent. or So I think that's a really good one, too, to pick. I truly, at this point, could not predict how they're going to get the celebrity involved in this story. Even if, or if they even will bother, or if it's just about the writer. So, I, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, it does feel like they're careening toward a death, to a shared death, and I don't know. It would be strange again if it was, like, can you think of, at this point, would you be... Would the narrative do something like makes Rufus be violent again and then die in a way that's like, oh, gosh, I guess I was a violent person all along like that. There's no way <laughs> it's it's tried so man. aggressively hard to be like, we swear this man is can be redeemed. You know, this man yeah. is a good yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> so it would be so weird if something like that happened. I guess we'll see what it builds to. But
1: do you think um one thing that I picked up on was. um Rufus um, has made a point of like coming out to Mateo and saying that he's bisexual, yeah, and Mateo and yeah. his profile specifically skipped um, that question.
0: Oh, I thought Rufus did. I thought Rufus no, was Rufus on... Rufus
1: put bisexual, Got and it. Okay. Mateo skipped it.
0: Got it, okay. Yeah, it could so. be, there could be a romance brewing. I, the story hasn't played with that at all in my reading. Yeah. Like, has there been any, you notice any euphemistic stuff, or coded or hidden language, or... I don't...
1: I, their their legs have been brushing up against each other a oh lot okay pointing that out
0: that i okay i did not pick up on that honestly in the subway right when they were when it kind of goes dark and okay and
1: in the grave
0: oh i didn't even think about that when i was too caught up in uh, my other obvious reading <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so the rain was was crashing down so i was caught up in that reading but no that's that is fair um would they have played with this at all? I guess the the Amy of it all makes that a little confusing. Not not because he can't be attracted to someone by definition. That seems right, but just that he's so caught up with like trying to end that romance, or like that seems like the romance that he should be resolving and trying to get closure with. I I feel like it would be strange if it's like no, he gets a new romance and then like we're just gonna let that other thing forget about that other. Thing. <laughs> I don't know, but I guess we'll see. I I have not been picking up on that reading, but um, a good one though to investigate think about in the back half yeah cool any other final thoughts so far on the novel they both die at the end by adam silvera or silvera not yet okay cool well, if you've listened this to this point, to the ending, um, we thank you, as always, listeners, for sticking with us. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion in the book if you're reading it. If you're not, then hopefully our conversations always were lucid and made sense to a non-reader. <laughs> um, that's all, all we can hope for. Uh, we do have other books coming up in order. If you're curious about our reading schedule, Amanda, do you want to run them through the next three picks?
1: Yeah, next is the novel Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. Uh, then a nonfiction work by Jill Lavoie called Ghetto Side. And finally, um, another, I think, young adult novel. Okay. Um, we Are Okay by Nina Lacour.
0: What's that one? That's the newest one in the list. What's the premise of that?
1: Um, I don't remember. This okay. is something that I had picked up a while ago. Um, gotcha. I had the book actually right next to me because I oh am convenient well organized in that way. <laughs> um, but it deals with like the loss of someone, um, okay, and and like kind of like getting through that.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah, young adult stuff yeah, does not stray away surprise. from some heavy topics. That's for yeah. sure. Okay, excellent. Well, those are our next three picks. They are, again, going to be in that order. We'll cover them in the podcast. And, of course, there will be reminders on the feed. And, as always, just refresh the feed wherever you get us, Spotify or iTunes or Google Play, anywhere. And um, you'll see which books we're doing that way. Amanda, again, any final thoughts on this novel so far? Nope, I'm good. Yeah, brisk and interesting enough. I'm not going to say I feel let down. It was my pick. I thought it would maybe have a little bit more... I don't know, strangeness to it, but I feel like I covered that point well. But yeah, I'm also, I would say on the whole, it's enjoyable so far. It, it reminds me how breezy yeah. these reads can be. It's like yeah. thinking thinking back, I read through that Percy Jackson, when I was a middle school teacher, I like read through the Percy Jackson books. Um, at the time, of course, you look at the page counts and you're like, I can't believe I did that. That was like 3,000 pages, but you know, <laughs> it all, I also did it in like two months because those things just move at a clip, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. Do. You do forget about that anyway. All right, we have been the Lightly Literary Podcast. We ask, as always, that you follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We've got social media accounts there that post reminders of what we're reading, so check us out there. If you're on a podcast platform, give us a five-star rating. Hey, that'd be a great gift for any holiday, <laughs> even though this will be well after New Year's by the time you hear this. So Happy New Year yep. and uh, <laughs> maybe a New Year's gift. We appreciate that. Tell your friends and family, etc. And as always, <laughs> until next time, we'll see you between the pages.